0: to the Crack Open a Classic podcast, the podcast where I read a chapter or two an episode aloud, ask questions to help you think about the chapter, and open the world of classics to you. So grab a cup of coffee or tea, and let's jump into the chapter. Chapter 9. Ned Land's Tantrums. How long i slept i don't remember but it must have been quite a long time for we emerged from our slumbers completely rested after our exertions i was the first to wake up my companions had not yet moved and were still stretched out in their corner two motionless forms as soon as i had risen from my rather hard couch i felt that my brain was working again and my mind was clear i then began a careful inspection of our cell nothing had changed The prison was still a prison, and the prisoners still prisoners. However, the steward, taking advantage of our somnolent state, had cleared the table. So there was nothing to suggest that the situation would change in any way, and I wondered, quite seriously, whether we were fated to live indefinitely in this cage. The prospect was such an unpleasant one that, even though my mind was cleared of its obsessions of the day before, I nevertheless felt my chest strangely heavy. I was finding difficulty in breathing. The heavy air was insufficient for my lungs. Although our cell was very large, we evidently had used up a great deal of the oxygen it contained. I recalled that a man consumes in one hour all the oxygen contained in 100 liters, or three and a half cubic feet, of air, and that this air, when it has accumulated almost the same amount of carbon dioxide, becomes unbreathable so it was urgent that the air in our prison should be renewed which would undoubtedly mean changing all the air in our submarine craft at this point a question occurred to me what did the captain of this floating habitation do about air did he obtain it by chemical means using heat to generate oxygen from potassium chlorate and absorbing the carbon dioxide with caustic potash if this was so he must have maintained contact of some kind with the shore in order to procure the materials necessary for such a process, or was he content to release air from time to time under high pressure from tanks depending on the needs of the crew. Perhaps that's what he did, or else, and this method would be more convenient and economical, and was therefore more probable, he might find it sufficient to come up to the surface like a cetacean and take on a twenty-four hours' supply of air. Whatever the means he employed, It seemed to me wise to do it without delay. Indeed, I was already reduced to gasping in order to extract from our cell what little oxygen was left in it, when, all of a sudden, I was refreshed by a whiff of pure salty air. There was no mistaking the sea breeze invigorating and full of iodine. I opened my mouth wide and filled my lungs with fresh molecules. At the same time I felt the boat roll, not too violently, yet quite discernibly, and realized that the iron-plated monster had surfaced to take a deep breath like a whale. The ship's ventilation system was now self-evident when i had filled my lungs with this pure fresh air i looked for the air pipe so to speak which conveyed to us this welcome current and i soon found it above the door there was a ventilator through which passed a stream of fresh air replacing the polluted air in the cell i had just reached this point in my observation when ned and Conseil woke up almost at the same moment awakened no doubt by the invigorating air they rubbed their eyes stretched their arms and in a moment were on their feet has monsieur slept well kinsey asked with his usual politeness very well my boy i replied what about you master ned land like a log professor But if I am not mistaken, it feels as if I'm breathing sea air. A seaman could not make a mistake about that, and I told the Canadian what had happened while he was asleep. Good, he said. That explains the roaring we heard when the narwhal was within sight of the Abraham Lincoln. Precisely, Master Land. It was taking a breather. But I've no idea what time it is, Monsieur Aronnax, unless it happens to be dinner time. Dinner time, my worthy harpooner. You should at least say breakfast time, because I am certain... "'That we slept for twenty-four hours?' replied Kensei. "'I think so,' I answered. "'I won't argue with you about that,' Ned Land rejoined. "'But breakfast or dinner, the steward will be welcomed, whichever he brings.' "'Or both,' said Kensei. "'I quite agree,' replied the Canadian. "'We have a right to two meals, and I am sure I could do justice by both.' "'Well, Ned, let us wait and see,' I said.' It is obvious that these strange people have no intention of letting us die of hunger, for for if that were so, there wouldn't have been any point in giving us that last meal. Unless they want to fatten us up, replied Ned. I protest, I answered. I don't think we have fallen into the hands of cannibals. One meal doesn't prove anything, the Canadian replied gravely. How do you know these people haven't been missing their fresh meat for a long time, and that being the case, three healthy, well-fattened people like the professor, his servant, and me? Get those ideas out of your head, Master Land, I said to the harpooner, and above all, do not take that as an excuse to be angry with our hosts, because that might only make the situation worse. In any case, said the harpooner, I'm hellishly hungry, and whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, it hasn't come yet. Master Land, I replied, "'We have to conform to the ship's regulations, and I can only suppose that our stomachs are ahead of the cook's clock.' "'We'll have to adjust to his clock,' Conseil rejoined calmly. "'That is just like you, Conseil," retorted the impatient Canadian. "'You never show your temper, do you? Always calm. "'You are fully capable of saying grace before receiving your blessings, and you would rather starve than complain.' "'What is the use in complaining?' asked Conseil. "'Well, at least you'd be complaining, and that's something, and if these pirates—and I say pirates, out of respect for the professor, who forbids me to call them cannibals—if these pirates think they're going to keep me suffocating in this cage without listening to the curses I use to spice my temper, they're very much mistaken. Do you think they're going to keep us locked up in this iron box much longer?' "'To tell the truth, friend Land, I have no more idea than you have.' "'Well, but what do you think?' I think that a mere chance has led us into an important secret so if the crew of the underwater craft is interested in keeping it and if their interest is of more consequence than the lives of three men i should conclude that our existence is more than a little compromised should the opposite be the case then the monster that has swallowed us up will land us back to our own people at the very first opportunity unless they make us join the crew said Conseil, and keep us here Until, interjected Ned Land, a faster or more skillful frigate than the Abraham Lincoln captures this gang of pirates and makes the whole lot, including ourselves, walk the plank. Well reasoned, Ned Land, I replied, but as far as I know, they haven't yet made us any proposal of that kind, so there is no point in discussing what course of action we should follow in such case. As I said, let us wait and be counseled by circumstances, and let us not do anything, since there is nothing to be done." "'But that's not true, Professor,' replied the harpooner, who did not want to retreat. "'We must do something.' "'And what would you do, Master Land?' "'Escape!' "'To escape from a prison on land is often difficult enough, but when it comes to an underwater prison, it seems to me quite impossible. "'Come on, friend Ned,' said Conseil. "'What have you got to say to Monsieur's objection?' I find it difficult to believe that an American has come to the end of his resources." The harpooner, obviously embarrassed, said nothing. To flee from the circumstances in which fortune had landed us was out of the question. But a Canadian is half a Frenchman, and this was clearly proved by Master Ned's reply. "'So, Monsieur Aronnax, he went on after a few seconds, thought, "'you can't imagine what people do who cannot escape from prison?' "'No, my friend, I cannot.' It's quite simple. They must arrange things so they can remain. I'll say one thing, remarked Conseil. I'd sooner be inside this monster than on top or underneath it. Yes, but only after having kicked out the jailers, turnkeys, and warders, added Ned Land. What was that, Ned? Do you mean you would seriously consider seizing the ship? Very much so, answered the Canadian. But that is impossible. Why, Monsieur— "'We might get a good chance sometime, and I don't see what could stop us from taking advantage of it. "'If there was only about twenty men on board, they certainly won't force two Frenchmen and a Canadian to retreat.' "'It seemed wiser to accept the harpooner's suggestion than to argue about it, so I simply replied, "'Let us wait for things to happen, Master Land, and we shall see. "'But until something does happen, please be patient. "'Our only chance is to think up some ruse, and you will not create any good opportunities by flying into a rage.' So promise me that you will accept the situation without getting too worked up about it.' "'I promise, Professor,' Ned Land replied somewhat unconvincingly. "'Not an angry word shall pass my lips. Not a violent gesture shall betray me, even if the service at table leaves much to be desired.' "'So I have your word, Ned,' I said to the Canadian. The conversation lapsed, and each of us devoted himself to his own thoughts. I will admit that, despite the harpooner's assurances, I was under no illusion I could not imagine that we should ever have those opportunities of which Ned Land had spoken. To be navigated with such a sure hand, the submarine needed a numerous crew, and consequently, if it came to a fight, we could be strongly outnumbered. Besides, we needed, above all, to be free, and we were not. I could not even see any way of escaping from this iron-plated cell, which had been so hermetically sealed, and assuming— That the strange captain of this ship had a secret to guard, which seemed at least probable. He would not let us move freely on board. Would he now get rid of us by violent means, or would he one day cast us off on some remote corner of land? This was the unknown factor. However, all these possibilities seemed to me entirely plausible, and one had to be a harpooner to have any hope of regaining one's freedom. I realized that the longer Ned Land thought the matter over the more bitter he became. I could hear him gradually beginning to grumble and mutter curses to himself, and I saw his gestures becoming threatening. He would get up and prowl around like a wild beast in a cage, banging the walls with his feet and fists. Moreover, time was passing. We were becoming more and more famished, and the steward was nowhere to be seen. If they really had any good intentions towards us, considering that we were survivors of a shipwreck, they had neglected us much too long. Ned Land, tormented by the aching void in his ample stomach, was becoming more and more worked up and, despite his promise, I really was beginning to fear an explosion should any member of the crew appear. For another two hours the Canadian's fury mounted. He called out, he shouted, but all in vain. The iron-plated walls were deaf to his cries. I could not even hear the slightest noise inside the ship which seemed to be dead. It was not moving, or I should have felt the hull tremble beneath the movements of the propeller. She was probably deep down in the sea, far from land, the gloomy silence frightening. We were isolated. shut away in a cell, to be sure, but I could not believe that it would last. The hope that I had felt after our interview with the captain was gradually fading. The gentleness in that man's look, kind-hearted expression on his face, his noble bearing. I was beginning to forget all that. I was now seeing quite a different image of this enigmatic person, such an image, such as I imagined he must be, pitiless and cruel. I felt him to be outside humanity, inaccessible to any feelings of pity and the implacable enemy of his fellow men, against whom he must have sworn an undying hatred. But did this man intend to leave us here to die of starvation, shut up in this confined space and exposed to the horrible temptation induced by extreme hunger? This appalling thought grew and grew in intensity in my mind and fired by imagination. I became quite filled with insensate horror, Can say remained calm, but Ned Land kept roaring like a wild animal. At that moment there was a noise outside. The sound of steps echoed on the iron floor. The boats were withdrawn, the door opened, and the steward appeared. Before I could make a move to stop him, the Canadian threw himself on the unfortunate man, hurled him to the ground, and caught him by the throat. The steward was choking in his powerful grasp. Conseil was already trying to drag the harpooner's hands off his half-suffocated victim, and I was going to join my efforts to his, when suddenly I was rooted to the spot by the following words spoken in French. Stop, Master Land! And you, Monsieur le Professeur, be good enough to listen to me. Questions to Consider After Reading The submarine had been above water for a bit before submerging again. Why do you think the broom was running out of oxygen so quickly? Was it a malicious test? Ned is seemingly obsessed with his next meal. Why do you think that is? Are these three prisoners of the captain? Thank you for listening to today's chapter. If you would like to discuss the questions, follow me on the Crack Open a Classic podcast Instagram page and comment on today's chapter's post. If you like this podcast, please share it with others so we can get the word out about more classics. If you would like to suggest a book to be read, email me at crackopenaclassicpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Check back tomorrow for the next chapter in this adventure.